Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. Um, I'm just very aware that we have a beautiful presence of God this morning. And, um, you know, the Bible talks a lot about the mind being the enmity to the spirit. And sometimes what can happen is that we can engage our brain um, and we disengage our spirit when we do that. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is, is not worry about a PowerPoint, Caitlin. I do have a PowerPoint, but um, I just want to kind of stay in this space and um, I'm just going to shorten uh, a lot of what I had to say right down. So I had an unbelievably brilliant theological two-hour message for you this morning on the Lord's Prayer, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, if you want to make sure that I'm preaching out of the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13 is what we're talking about this morning, the Lord's Prayer. Um, And we're going to move back into some ministry time, which is just Christian language for, we're going to sing some some more music at the end, and and we're going to create a space for people to respond to what Jesus is doing and saying this morning, if you want to. Um, Last week... I talked about the Lord's Prayer. Can you guys see me if I sit down? Can you guys still see me? Am I, am I tall enough? You can see me, Tibor? <laughs> um, we've been talking about prayer this term, um, which has been awesome. And uh, we're going to transition Into, into intimacy. And, and God's just been stirring up in my heart just this week you know, in anticipation around what this, what this could look like. And there's a part of me that wants to just you know, jump right into it now, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage you this morning to make sure that you are here next Sunday. Uh, and I don't know what your personal church attending habits alike, whether you're an every Sunday person or an every second Sunday or you try and you know, get that box ticked once every three or four weeks, whatever it might be. But let me just encourage you, for this next season, I believe that there is something extremely significant that God wants to do in this place. And if you're not here, you'll miss out. I don't want you to miss out. Pat, where's Pat? Pat down the back. Pat loaned me a book, which was a bit of a sabotage job, wasn't it, Pat? She said, here, Josh, read this. And I read it, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this book's amazing. It's, it's all about how to host the habitation of the glory of God. It's written by a guy who experienced an incredible outpouring of the glory of God in his church a couple of years ago. There's amazing stories, testimonies, miracles, just extraordinary stuff, and it really just lit a fire in me again, like, ah, oh, that's what we want to see here in this place. I want to see the glory of God in this house. I want to see the presence of God moving. Tell stories about people walking into the church that aren't even Christian. They take one step across the threshold. They fall to their knees and they're crying out, how do I get saved? Just by stepping into the building. And, and in that book, he referenced another book called God Chases by a guy called Tommy Tenney. Who's heard of Tommy Tenney? A few of you. 
And so I, I stopped reading and I bought God Chases just while I was on my laptop and then carried on. And, and it arrived yesterday. So I was reading it last night. And Tommy Tenney talks about how he was a guest minister in a church. And he'd spoken there a couple of times before. And he was there for the third time. And he said, I walked into the room and the atmosphere was thick. It was heavy. He said, I could feel the the weightiness of the glory of God. And everybody that's been in that environment says the same thing. They say, there is a weight that you can feel when the glory of God enters a room. It's, it's, you physically feel the, the weight, the thickness, the heaviness. It's, it's tangible. And he said, something happened in the room that night. And he said, the worship team couldn't even finish playing. They all just started crying. Just broke down in tears, the whole team on stage just crying. And he turned to the pastor and he said, I don't know what to do now. I'm the guest minister, but I don't, I don't know what to do. The pastor said, do you mind if I get up and read a, a verse out of the Bible? I know we've got you down to, to speak, but do you mind if I get up and read a verse out of the Bible? He said, sure, go for it. So I'm reading this last night. I've got no idea what's coming next. And he said the pastor got up and he stood in front of the pulpit and he read out 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. He read out, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. I thought, that sounds familiar. (laughs) If you're a guest with us this morning, that is our verse for this year. That is the verse that we have been moving through. It starts with humility. It moves from humility to prayer and then on to seeking his face, which is intimacy, which we start next week. Tommy Tenney said he'd read the verse out. And as soon as he read the verse out, there was an incredible clap of thunder And he said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. The pastor was picked up and thrown back about 10 feet. The pulpit was split in two and tipped forward. And a revival started in that church that night. He said, I have never seen anything like it before or since. He said, there were people that were literally crawling over the top of other people to get to the front to repent And I read it and I thought, why not activate Christchurch? Why not here? We are his people, we are called by his name. If we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek his face and we repent, We repent from trying to do things our own way, from putting all these other things before God. He says, I will hear you. I will forgive you. I will heal your land. Our land isn't going to be healed by policy from the beehive. It's not going to be healed by media. It's not going to be healed by our education system. Our land will be healed or it flows out of his church. 
It starts in here with us and it flows from this place. So next week, we're going to start on that journey. And I want to be honest from the get-go, I think that it could be painful for a lot of us, maybe for all of us, because I think what God wants to do is He wants to dig deeper than you've ever let Him dig before. He wants to draw stuff out of you that is buried so deep down that it's just going to hurt. Things you don't hear preached about in church a lot, repentance, sin, holiness, purity. And yet God is saying, that's what I need from you. That's what I want from you. So if you're here this morning and you think, I want to be a part of that, I want to be a part of seeing God doing awesome things, I would pay money to see God throw Josh 10 feet. (laughs) 20 feet. 20 feet or $20? What are you... I just I encourage you, you know, if you're married, talk to your husband, talk to your wife. If you're single, talk to a good friend. Say, hey, are we are we in this? Do we wanna do we wanna see that happen? Because every book that I've read, every person that I've talked to, every person that I've seen, they all say the same thing, and that is that there is always a cost to God doing something like that in your church. And if you're not prepared to pay the price then he'll find someone who is. And both these guys, they said an extraordinary thing happened. God broke out in their churches and people left. People left. Because it's not possible to be in an environment where God is that thick and be a tick-the-box Christian, be a lukewarm Christian. And so they left. So you need to ask yourself, ah, what what do I do if God starts pushing on this pain point of my life? What do I do if God says, I want this sorted? I want this given to me. Do you say, okay, and you go through that process, that painful process, or do you say, no, no, that's too, too hard and go find somewhere else? I'm just warning you ahead of time so that when it happens, you're prepared for it. Is that cool? It's totally up to you. I I mean, I hope and I pray that every single person here, and if you're listening to the podcast, that, you know, you make a decision to stick around and let God do what only God can do. Anyway. Let me, let me wrap up prayer for you really quickly, short version. So last Sunday, you know, we started talking about how to pray. We, we talked about the fact that this term, we've, we've looked at what prayer is, we've looked at why we pray. And in my experience in talking with different people, we all struggle sometimes to know how to pray. What, what do I actually say? What's the right way to do this? And the truth is there's no right way, there's no wrong way, but there is a better way sometimes, I think. And Jesus gave us an example in Matthew chapter 6 
we talked about this last Sunday. He said, first of all, make sure you pray with the right motives. He said, don't pray like the religious leaders do. The religious leaders that the people were trying to learn from were praying with the wrong motives. They wanted to look impressive. They wanted to look like super awesome Christians. I just found out this week that it was very common in Jesus' day for the Pharisees to end a prayer in their own name. So we say, we pray, and at the end we say, in Jesus' name, you know, amen. But back then they would say, in Josh's name or in Abel's name, just to make sure that if you were watching that you knew who they were. You can make sure that you gave credit to the right person. Don't pray with the wrong motives. James says when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. He also said when you pray, make sure you pray with the right mindset. The other group of people that Jesus kind of identified were all of the the Romans that were living among the Jews. They were oppressing the Jews and they had their own religion. They had their own pagan gods. They had, you know, Jupiter and Roma and these kind of guys and girls and they would go and pray with them. And so the Jews were obviously being influenced by how they saw these guys doing church and doing their religion. And so Jesus said, don't pray like they pray. You know, they, they, they have this mindset that their gods are far away, that their gods are not disposed towards them, that their gods need to be convinced and coerced and have their arms twisted to intercede on their behalf. And so they beg and they plead and they pray massively long prayers and they cut themselves and they do all this kind of stuff. He said, don't be like those people. He said, the mindset that you pray with is that your God is right here and he loves you and he knows what you need and he is just waiting to move on your behalf. He said, God knows what you need before you even ask him. Third thing he said is when you pray, make sure you understand the relationship that you have with God. He talked about access. He said, when you pray, you pray our Father, right? You've got the same access to God that a a young boy, like that Harrison has to me. He just comes bowling in and just asks for stuff, just has conversations. There's no walls between me and my son. There's no religious hoops that he has to jump through. There's no sacrifices he has to make. Hey, buddy, just comes to me. So Jesus said, that's how you approach God, which I said last week would have blown their mind because they've spent thousands of years thinking they had to sacrifice this and sacrifice that and be religious here and religious there. He said, no, no, you can just go straight to God now because he knew that he was going to die on the cross and take care of our sin issue. And he said, make sure that when you pray that you recognize who God is, right? How God is in heaven, which means he's above everything. He's got authority over all things. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's omnipresent. He's, there's nothing that our God cannot do. He said, you pray with that in mind. And then hallowed be your name. We talked about the fact that you start by magnifying God. The big issue that we have when we pray is we pray to a little God and we present a big problem. In our minds, it's not reality, of course. But in our minds, we have a big problem and a little God. And Jesus said, the way you deal with that is you magnify God. You make him bigger and bigger and bigger until in the end, you're presenting a little problem to a huge God. It's how you pray. So if we look at the rest of the prayer uh, this morning, he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Matthew chapter six, verse 10. And what I love about this part of the prayer is I, I pray this all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because this is a cheat prayer. This is like, I don't know what the right thing to pray is. Sometimes you have a situation and it's incredibly obvious what the right thing to pray is. It's just black and white, night and day, light and darkness. I know what I need to pray here. But other times you get situations that are complicated. 
multiple potential right outcomes. And you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to pray. And so in that instance, I love to pray this prayer. So every time I pray, and I've talked about it before, I will go for a walk down my road, you know, and I lift God up and I magnify God. And then I always start, like Jesus said, I start by declaring what you want to happen, God would happen. And that means that I don't have to have any kind of understanding around what the right thing to do. I can just declare, God, I pray that your will would be done. And so I pray that all the time. I pray when I'm praying for people, I always start with that. If I'm praying on behalf of people, I always start with that. If I'm praying for myself or different circumstances, I always pray that. Jesus said, that's how you start. It's what you want that's most important to me, God. It's that, it's that your will is done in this situation that's most important to me, God. That's why he says uh, a little bit later on, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. So when we pray, we pray first and foremost that God's kingdom would come. That word kingdom, it's a huge word. We could spend a year just talking about what Jesus meant by kingdom, but I'm not gonna do that this morning. What I wanted to highlight was that when you pray, before you even start thinking about your own stuff, you're lifting God up, you're magnifying God, and you're praying that what He wants to happen would happen. That's how you start with prayer. Next line, verse 11, give us today our daily bread. And again, there is a huge bunch of stuff we could pull out of this, but let's just scratch the surface really quickly. Uh, I think what Jesus is saying here, first of all, is that it is totally allowed and totally okay for you to talk to God about what you need. You know, and I've talked a bit in the past about the fact that I don't spend a lot of time presenting my problems and my issues to God, and that's true, I don't. And in fact, if you look at the entire prayer, this is the only line where we would in any way, shape or form kind of petition God for an actual need. The rest of the prayer is other stuff. So it's a very small part of what Jesus tells us to do when it comes to praying. But it's okay to go to God and say, hey, you know, here's a need that, that we have. But there's just a couple of thoughts on this one that struck me when I read it. First of all, it doesn't say, give me today my daily bread. It's give us today our daily bread. And so what Jesus is saying here is that actually, you know, in prayer, you should have, I believe, an awareness of what other people in your world are struggling with, what other people need. And when you pray, you're not just praying a selfish, this is what I need, this is what I want, but you're actually praying on behalf of your community, you're praying on behalf of your church family, you're praying on behalf of your wider family, your friends, whoever it might be, and you're saying, God, this is what we need. When I pray, I'm like, this is, I know, this is what Abel and Kira need, God. This is what Dan and Amanda need. You know, this is what Jackie needs. This is what Jean needs. God, I pray we all need this stuff, God. And so please, God, help us together. You know, a really challenging question, and I've mentioned this to a couple of people in the past, but a really challenging question to ask yourself is, if God answered all of my prayers right now, how would the world change? Think about the prayers that you're praying or that you've prayed in the past. If God came in right now and said, you know what, Ron, every single prayer that you've prayed, answering all of them, would you walk out the door and go, man, world peace. Poverty's gone. The sex trade has just been decimated because God answered my prayer? Or would we walk out and see not much different in the world except we've got a much higher number in our bank account? If God answered all of your prayers, how would the world change? And the truth is that for most of us, 
the world would not change that much because most of our prayers are about us, our lives, our issues, what we need. And what Jesus is saying here is you need to lift up your eyes and you're praying for give us our daily bread. You're praying for a wider group of people than just your own stuff. Another thing I like about this line is he says, give us today our daily bread. This is the only part in the whole passage, the whole prayer that gives you any idea of how often you're supposed to pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Okay, do I pray that once a month? Is that like a kick off my year thing? No, he says you pray this every day. I want to encourage you again on this, that, that we should be, and you know, there's a part of me that says, oh, don't say this, Josh, because then people will be like, oh, now I feel bad about it. But look, my job here is to encourage us, to equip us, to prepare the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. I do not believe that you can do this with any effectiveness if you're not praying daily. I just don't believe it. So it would be dishonest of me to say, hey, just work out a thing with God. If you want to talk to God once a week, once a month, that's your own business, no judgment here. I think you've got to pray every day. It doesn't always have to be like a huge thing, but like I've said in the past, if I'm in a committed, intimate relationship with my wife, I, I couldn't tell you, I don't think it's ever happened that I would have gone a whole day and not talked with her. Even if I'm away, make a phone call, send a message, send a funny dancing gif on Facebook Messenger. Missing you. I mean, it just makes sense if you stop and think about it, right? You got if, if you if you love someone, you care about them, you're in a relationship with them, you're talking to them all the time. Come on. Next verse. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I'm going to skip over that and come back to it because Jesus unpacked a little bit more on that at the end. But the verse after that says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I read this verse and it gave me an issue because I thought, doesn't the Bible say that God doesn't do that? Like, why would I have to pray and ask God to not lead me into temptation? One of the things that you discover when you read the Bible is sometimes you will come across something that you think that seems to contradict another part of the Bible. That's why it's important to make sure that you use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? Because in James chapter 1, he says, no one should ever say God is tempting me because God does not tempt people. So you read that and you go, okay, well, what does that mean around this, this thing that Jesus said? And that's why it's important also to, if you're taking Bible study seriously, to have different translations available. Like, I've just got the Holy Bible app. It's a free app. It's awesome. But I can look at any passage and then just click a couple of buttons and change the translation. And when you do that, you start to realize, actually, there's a nuance here that maybe hasn't been quite captured as it should have been in the NIV. Because in different versions, like in the NLT, this is where my PowerPoint would be helpful because I've got it up on the PowerPoint and I can't remember it. But it basically says, you know, um, don't let us give in to temptation when we're tempted, is essentially what it's saying. And you get a bit of a clue too, because the very next line is, but deliver us from the evil one. And so the insinuation is, don't do this, but please do that. And so the opposite of delivering us would be, you know, handing us over. So it's more like, uh, what it's saying is, God doesn't 
tempt you. But sometimes God does allow you to enter into a space where the enemy will tempt you. The Bible literally says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert specifically for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. So it's the enemy that tempts us, but sometimes God does allow us to enter into that space. But when you look at the nuances of that verse, it is a prayer for guidance. It is Jesus saying, hey, when you pray, you pray for guidance. You pray for God to direct your steps, for God to not let you get into a situation where you make a mistake. Uh, um, I don't think I've ever quoted the message in this church, so just calm down. But I like the way the message puts it. And again, I read through half a dozen different translations, and then I just thought, I wonder what the message says. Um, And the message says it like this. It says, um, protect us from ourselves is the way the message puts it. Passion Translation's also got a good definition, the contemporary English version. In fact, there are more versions that kind of lead towards this idea that what Jesus is saying is guide us and stop us from making any big mistakes. Stop us from giving into temptation. It's not actually saying, hey, God's the author of it. But lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. That's pretty straightforward. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this verse, it top and tails with recognizing who God is, that God gets all the glory. That song that we were singing before is it's beautiful. In fact, I'll get the band to jump back up. Let me circle back, though. We'll finish with this. Where Jesus says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Different translations or different gospels will say, forgive us our trespasses. Buddy, can you pass me my phone? Thanks. I just want to look up a Bible verse. Thank you. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. with family 86 what I find fascinating about this is that obviously what's happened here is Jesus has given this outline on how to pray and he's brought up this idea that forgiveness for our sins is in some way related to our ability or willingness to forgive others and then he carries on and he finishes the prayer off and then he feels the need to circle back and clarify that statement which suggests to me that there must have been some kind of response amongst the crowd of people. That when he said, hey, you know, you've got to pray like this, um, you know, forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sinned against us, I suggest or I suspect that people were kind of like, whoa, he would have heard some murmuring, some whispering, like, did he just say what I, what I thought he said? That's, you know, some consternated, constant, constipated? constipated? No, consta, I don't know what the word is for that, but concerned looks on people's faces, right? Consternation. But is there like a consternated look? If you have consternation, what's the... You're the teacher. It's close, right? You guys know what I mean. Yeah, right? The looks on your faces right now is what he was seeing when he he said it, right? And so he he finishes the prayer and then he circles back and he says this, He says, um, for if you forgive other people, so the prayer's finished now, he's just expanding on this one thought. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty intense. I'm just looking because I read it in uh, Luke as well. 
here it is here. Do not judge and you will not be judged. This is Luke 6, 37. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you shall receive. Who's ever heard that verse quoted? Give and you shall receive. You've heard that verse? Who's ever heard that verse quoted in the context of financial giving? Right, it's, always, it's always used, like, oh, give financial giving, give financial giving, and if you give, you'll receive. But it's not used in reference to financial giving. It's literally used in reference to forgiveness. Is how Jesus uses it. Give and you shall receive comes immediately after forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you shall receive. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You say, wait a minute, Josh. Are you telling me that my ability or capacity to receive forgiveness from God is linked to my ability and willingness to forgive other people? I'm not saying that. But Jesus is. I'm just reading it out. It's literally red letters. And as we move into this, this series on, on intimacy and we start to look at the areas of our lives that maybe are holding God back, and it sounds like a crazy thing to say, but it is possible for us to say no to God. God never overrides our free will. People say, oh, is there anything that God can't do? We've talked about the fact that God can't lie. Right, because He is truth. But another thing that God can't do is He can't force you to do anything. He doesn't invade your body and manipulate your arms and legs and say, you will go to church on Sunday morning and you kind of turn up like this. I don't want to be here. God's just making me do it. Right, that's not how God works. So the truth is that if you've got areas in your life and you say, I don't want to give that to you, God, He says, okay, you don't have to give it to me. What we don't realize is that in giving that to Him, we are opening ourselves up to receive something far greater from Him. I'm not gonna pretend that I understand what Jesus is saying here. Because on the one hand, we all believe that when Jesus died on the cross, we are forgiven from all of our sins. I don't have the answer for you this morning around, well, how does that fit in with this? I believe that if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, if you've invited Him into your heart, then I believe that if you walk out of here, get hit by a bus, you go to heaven. If you're carrying a whole bunch of unforgiveness in your life, I still believe that accepting the sacrifice that He made is, is enough for that. But I think what Jesus is saying here is there's a whole bunch more stuff going on. I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to uh, shrink our life right down to this, am I getting into heaven or am I not getting into heaven? And actually what Jesus is saying here is that there is so much more that I have for you here and now than just are you holding on to a heaven ticket? Otherwise, if the whole reason that Jesus died on a cross was to get you to heaven, the merciful thing for him to do would be to execute you as soon as you made the decision. Wouldn't it? Like just logically, you make a decision. Yes, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Great job, head chopped off, come to heaven. Like, ah, awesome. But he doesn't do that because he's got more plans for our lives than just us making a decision for him. So Caitlin, I'll get you just to, to dim the lights back to where they were before. Thank you. And I, I have found myself asking this question this week because you can't look at a, a passage like that and not ask yourself the question. When you read the Bible, 
what I encourage you to do is to always have these two questions front and center. Number one, what's Jesus saying right now? Or what's happening in this passage? And then the second question is, what is happening in me because of what is happening here? There should be something happening in you when you read something like that. How can you read where Jesus says, if you don't forgive other people, God can't forgive you or you can't receive his forgiveness and not go, oh, what does that mean for my life? So what I'm gonna ask you to do this morning is I'm gonna ask you to just spend a minute with the Holy Spirit and just ask him if there is anything in your life, anyone in your life that you are holding unforgiveness toward. I heard somebody say once that unforgiveness or bitterness, which are two very similar things, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It only poisons yourself. Maybe you've got unforgiveness to someone and they know that there's unforgiveness there. They're aware that there's an issue, but it could be that they've got no clue. They're just happily living their life and you're the one struggling through with all of these issues. Let's just take a moment now. If you feel comfortable, if you're a guest with us this morning, then you don't have to do any of this stuff. Just feel free to sit there quietly, playing on your phone, looking spiritual. It's okay. Uh, or you're welcome to join in. But I want you, what I want you to do right now is just close your eyes, just to block out distraction, to block out you know, the people around you. This is just between you and God. And I want you to just ask him. In fact, you don't have to say this out loud, but just repeat this after me in your head. Just say, Father, would you please reveal to me any unforgiveness in my heart? Spirit said that for some people in the room here this morning, you're holding unforgiveness towards yourself. You've made mistakes. You've done things wrong. And you're refusing to forgive yourself. And I feel like God is saying, I have forgiven you for that. But it is your unwillingness to forgive yourself that is stopping you from receiving my forgiveness. So just right now again, you say, Holy Spirit, is there anything in my life that I am refusing to forgive myself for? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get the band to just start to play through that song. And if you have anything that's been highlighted to you, if a person's popped into your head, if a situation's popped into your head, if 
if, if a memory's popped into your head, then what I want you to do is I want you to come up the front. No one's going to pray for you, but I just want you to come up the front as a sign to God that you're taking this seriously. And you're just going to come up and I just want you to out loud, just quietly, no one needs to hear you saying it, you're just going to offer forgiveness. So if it's someone, you're going to say, hey, God, I forgive XYZ for doing XYZ. It might be, I forgive myself for making this mistake. I read a fascinating story about this just this week, about the power of forgiveness. I read about this couple who got pregnant and they had some complications during the birth and one of the a couple of the medical staff came in and the, the wife was in labor in the hospital and she said, I can feel like something's, something's wrong. I can feel something's wrong. And they did a check and they said, look, nothing's wrong. You're okay. You're okay. And they, they kind of carried on for a couple of hours and then eventually she gave birth. And as soon as she gave birth, they all recognized something was wrong. And I, I think it was something like the umbilical cord had got wrapped around the baby's neck. It was something that the doctors should have picked up. And when she was saying there's something wrong, they should have recognize that there was something wrong and they should have dealt with it and if they had it would have been okay they could have fixed it no last lasting effects no long-term effects but because they didn't this child was born and he had learning difficulties he had all sorts of physical issues and he grew up and he was in school and he couldn't read properly at school he couldn't write they had him going through special classes and remedial classes and all this kind of stuff. And they went to a sermon to church and they heard someone preach on forgiveness and they went home and they talked about it together. And they they did that prayer. They said, God, is there anyone that's holding unforgiveness towards? And God said to them, you're holding unforgiveness towards the doctors, the medical staff like seven years ago for not doing their job properly. And you blame them. And let's be fair, it was their fault. He said, you need to forgive them. And so their son, who's like, like seven or eight at the time, whatever it might be, again, struggling in school, can't read, can't spell. So they just get down on their knees that night during the week and they just say, God, we forgive them. Like, it was wrong of us to be holding this resentment. We forgive them. The next day, they get a phone call from their son's teacher crying. She said, I don't know what's happened. He's reading everything. I don't believe for a second that God was holding on to that, waiting for them to do the the right thing or tick a box. I think that every part of God was desperate to release that into their family, but it couldn't get past their unwillingness to forgive. And by forgiving the doctors, they opened up space to receive what God was always wanting to sow into their family. So can I encourage you again this morning? This is not like just a little wee silly religious thing that we've decided to do on a Sunday morning. This, this has consequence to it. It has weight to it. So just as the band starts to sing, why don't you come up the front? Just between you and God. No one's going to pray for you. No one's going to lay hands on you. You just say what you need to say.